Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for the Josh Hallmark episode. And as usual, we have some other current events that we need to cover uh, along with uh, your questions about Josh's episode. There have been more developments in the West Memphis 3 case. We've got questions about that and some questions about Josh. We've got Mike and Zach both in the studio with me. I'm back from California, and we're going to get to all your questions right after the break. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, real quick before we get into your questions about uh, the Josh Hallmark episode, just give you a, a real brief overview of where we're at with the West Memphis 3 case, and then we've got a bunch of questions about that here for the second half of today's show. Uh, so we have officially heard back from Cressman, who's the, the current DA for the West Memphis 3 case, and, and he has told Damien and his team that if they want to test the evidence, that they're going to have to petition the court to do so, that he is not going to uh, agree to do it. Now, there's a little bit of complications. There's a little bit more to that, but I will get into that um, when we get into the West Memphis Three questions. But just, you know, that's kind of that, that's some of the questions you're going to hear. That's the premise we're building off of. Damien had messaged me and then he tweeted out that uh, he's not cooperating and we're going to have to petition the courts for further testing. So we'll get into all that in a minute. But Mike, let's go ahead and. Let's go ahead and get into the questions about Josh's episode first. All right, Bob. Sounds good. Our first question is from Karen. I heard Josh talk about the internal conflict of doing good things, but quote, should I be doing this? I love Josh and the TCBS podcast so much, but didn't know what he meant by that. What is the reason that doing this is potentially bad? Well, it's in his case, he's talking about a serial killer. And when the show first started, that's really all he was doing. You know, he was just, he was just, he was sharing stories about the serial killer. So, so before you get to, I don't really know too much about the podcast is that's, it's all about Israel keys. Yeah. He did a, uh, uh, an interim season about another, a female serial killer. Okay. And then went back to Israel keys. Okay. I didn't, I, I mean, I figured that out over the podcast, but I didn't know that going in that he, yeah, I just assumed it was more like some of the other podcasts where it's kind of one off episodes. No, it's long form and it, and it kind of turned into an investigative series. But so the, the, the question comes in where, and it's in the early episodes where he kind of poses the question, 
is, you know, is this just exploitive? Like, is there a reason I should be doing this? Is it okay to do this? Is this good information to get out or should I, you know, not only am I just, you know, exploiting the life of the serial killer, uh, but also, you know, how, what do the victims think about me doing this and, and, and talking about it? So that's kind of the internal conflict. What, what makes it okay, I think, in Josh's case is that he's, he has, like I said in the, in the episode, he has a mission and his mission. So, Keys is a is a weird. Do you have to listen to his pod, Josh's podcast for all the details? But he was a scary, scary dude. So he, when he killed, he had no type. He was a serial killer that wasn't looking at for a type of person. He was he was an opportunistic killer, and he would he would kill people that were in like remote locations, like like way out in wooded areas and hiking trails and things like that, and he was very good at what he did because he would abduct these people, kill them, dispose of their body in a lake or something. And then there was no, they were in a place where they would be reported missing. And then it would be assumed that maybe they were killed by a bear or attacked by wolves or got lost in the, in the mountain somewhere. And so in his wake, he left all of the, there's the, the, the few confirmed kills they have where he, was caught and where he confessed to, uh, and you hear a lot of the tapes where he's confessing and give and, and breaking down how he killed some of these people when and where, but then there's just all these missing persons cases that we think may have been attributed to him. And also he didn't work in one location. He traveled all over the country and he would do things like fly to Chicago, rent a car and drive to New York and kill someone in New York. And he he had uh, kill kits that he would stash and like 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 so far ahead of, like he would do that you know fly to Chicago drive to New York somewhere along the way buy buy the materials to make his kill kit and then stash it somewhere in New York and then go home and then five years later or however many years later, he might go back to that spot and kill someone and you know because the 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 kill kit was already there so. It was scary because there was just no, you know, he says, you know, when he picked his victims, the, the, he, he would choose a victim based on a lot of times size and he's very cold when he talks about it and you, you hear it in, in his tapes on the, on the podcast, but he's like, well, yeah, he said, you know, I got to move these bodies, you know, so I don't want to kill a 300 pound person because they're hard to move. Mm-hmm. I'd rather kill a hundred pound person. They're easy for me to move. That's like, he just, he just, he was just killed for the sake of killing. And and so Josh's mission is to identify his victims. So there's a, there's a wealth of information that the FBI has that Josh has gotten through open records requests that log Keys's travel between um uh, his his flight records, his rental car records, his credit card records, phone records so that you have an idea of where he was when and then he's cross-referencing those locations and times with missing persons and then investigating those. And so what he's hoping to do, and the reason I wanted to have him on here, and we get into it a lot more depth in this true crime binge episode, uh, but he accomplished his mission, at least in one case where they were actually able to identify somebody who's been a John Doe for years. Yeah. I feel like that's a really, that that was a really neat thing that he was able to do and a really big thing. But that's also leads into that question of like, 
wh- where do you feel about that? Because yes, you've you've definitely given the family some closure, but you're also rehashing all of that for everybody again. Right. Like so I don't I mean it's that's tough, but it's really neat that he was able to hopefully put that together. I mean, we still need to figure out if that's true or not, but I I want to say that Well, they 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 at least 100% identified the body. That yeah, that that they identified that it's that person, but if it's whether if it's a keys victim or right. not. Right. Yeah, and and that part may be inconsequential to the family, maybe it's not, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the identification was huge. So, I mean, this is a family that had this this missing person has not known what happened. Maybe this person's still alive, maybe they were abducted, we don't know. Now they finally know, you know, that he's dead. They're able to have a funeral. They're able to, you know, kind of move on with their lives. So that's a thing that you're able to, people are able to do. So, yeah, so that, that kind of, I think that the dilemma came in at the beginning when he's just, he's wanted to do a podcast talking about Israel keys, but then it turned into, I think because of that conflict, he shifted to having a mission. It's a very similar story to what I did with the serial dynasty. You know, when I first started off, it was just like, hey, let's talk about this case. And very quickly, it got to feel like we're not accomplishing anything. I want to move, shift us into the point where we're actually trying to do something. And we moved into this crowdsource investigative work. I think that's a big deal is going forward with a mission rather than just putting it out for entertainment purposes. Yeah. I think that's where the big dilemma comes in. If you're if you're going forth with a mission, trying to do something like Josh is doing what you're doing compared to just putting out information for entertainment value to right. make, make a buck. Right. I think that's where the the ethical part comes in big time. Sure. And that's not to say, you know, there's a lot of podcasts that do, you know, kind of one-off episodes on different cases and stuff. But, but if you listen to those, a lot of times they are trying to draw attention to, you know, the, the guys, the, the, the people that, that I really respect, you know, guys like Nick and Captain and Justin and Aaron a ton of the shows that we've had on on true crime bins that, that were there they're just telling stories but if you listen they're trying to you know bring attention to an unsolved case or or highlight a victim when I, all anybody's ever heard about was the killer uh and I, I think there's definitely value in that as well Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chris says, I think that Josh and Bob made two very important points that can somewhat overlap even in the West Memphis 3 case. Josh's internal conflict and Bob's comment of having empathy for those coming from a past others have never been placed in. My question is mainly for Bob, but also Mike and Zach. With their involvement with Truth and Justice, do you ever have an internal conflict about how the investigation and potential exoneration affects the families of the victims? Uh, uh, for me, uh, all the time. 
you know, I, I'm, I'm starting to work on a new case right now and I'm at the point where I need to, before we launch, I need to reach out to the victim's families and it's, just, it's tough. It, so there, there's just so many lives at stake. You know, you've got defendants that are, that, that are in prison for something they didn't do. They have their whole, the ripple effect of everyone that's affected by that. They deserve to come home. They deserve to be free. The victims themselves deserve the justice of the actual right person being caught. But then there's the other side of it where the victims' families believe that the killer has already been caught. And they've had their their closure. I say closure. I'm still not so certain that's even a thing. But whatever closure is, they feel like they have it. And then we're opening up these wounds again. And it, it, it it's hard for me, for sure, doing it. But... In my mind, it's worth it. I can't turn a blind eye to the injustice that's the injustices that have been done and leave someone locked away for the rest of their life for a crime they didn't commit because the process is going to upset another person. It's not that I don't care about upsetting the other person, but it just it doesn't trump what's happened to the people that are locked up for something they didn't do. And so that, you know, I have that discussion with myself often. It certainly is a conflict, but that's where I always land is I don't want to upset this person, but I can't, I can't trade them being upset for this other person's life. If that makes sense. I don't know if you guys ever had any, felt any conflict. I, I couldn't put it better, Bob. Um And I'm not even, the, you know, you're, you're the, the face and the um, mouthpiece of the show. Just even behind the scenes, I'm always thinking about the conflict there. I totally agree. And honestly, more so for me coming along and, and really putting aside that these are real people. This isn't just TV. This isn't just, you know, you see so many true crime things on TV and they're, they're, it, we take it as entertainment value. We want to get into it, but you don't really put together that those are real people and there's real people behind the scenes of mm-hmm. that. Those are the family members. So, so some of these cases getting involved with and becoming, you know, I became friends with Liz from season six. Mm-hmm. When you start to really personalize all these people, that's, I think it becomes really tough. It becomes tough and easier for me sometimes because you realize they're all real people, but then you also see the effects. Uh, you know, when I've interviewed the family members of of the offender from the, the our next season, and have and and have seen have cried with them and have listened to them and heard them break down and talk about how this has affected them and what they've gone through, like that that feeling of them being real people is also a driving factor, but it gets balanced with the yeah. But then the, there's another side of this. There's the family members of the victims who don't want to do this, who are just as opposed to even as, asking these questions. So I know in my experience, I mean, have you had many family members actually want to talk to you? I know in like Catalina's case, her nephew would talk to you. Right. And that's, that's seems like one of the few victims families that would actually openly discuss with you. Cause it seems like most of them just want to believe it's already over. Let me think through this. So season one, Anand's case, Hayes family definitely wasn't interested in talking to anyone about this. Mm-hmm. In season two, you had um, Johnny Pryor, who was El Nora's cousin landlord neighbor 
she said, Mike was there with me. We sat down in her living room multiple times and talked to Johnny and, and she was interested in what we were doing. I talked to Elnora's son. He was a little more abrasive, but also was willing to list to hear me out. In Jesse's case, I talked to Kirby Gove, who is Kiao's son. I talked to him once and he was, he was pleasant and okay with what we were doing, but then also never talked to me again after that. I tried reaching out to him multiple times for, you know, more information and he never wanted to talk about it anymore. Well, you brought that up on the last episode where you're talking about people do a lot of things to your face. You right. Know, they won't slam a door in your face. Right. But that doesn't mean they're going to call Sometimes you Sometimes they slam a door in your face. They're just more likely to <laughs> slam down a phone or to, to, to hang up a phone than they are to slam a door for sure. But I, but I, I do understand the victim's families because I feel like if, if I had a family member that was murdered and the killer was put away, who I presumed was the killer was put away, you would want that closure. You'd want to be done with it. You don't want to bring that. You don't want to open that wound back up. Right. So, I mean, it, it would be really tough. Yeah. Now that I think about it, I've had more luck than not. Because then, so then you move into season five, the West Memphis three mm-hmm. and Pam Hicks, Mark Byers, um, both had, you know, were very supportive of what we were doing. Talked to Terry Hobbs, not so much supportive, but he talked to me. Season six, of course, you had Liz, who her mom's in prison and her dad was the victim. But then you have Jim's family, Herman and Maria, mm-hmm. uh, Melgar. You know, they were very open to you know, just, you know, the the brother of the victim. In season seven, the Bill Little case, uh, never got a hold of anybody from Bill's family, but um, some of Bill's friends mm-hmm. talked to us. Didn't really get there with the Perringers. And then, uh, yeah, the cattle, I, I mean, that's most, most of the, now that I think about it, most of the time, the victim's families have been, supportive is probably overstating their position, but they have been open to what we're doing. I would say that. Do you think that happens more and more as um, the world opens up more to like podcasting? No, I don't think, I don't think that has anything to do with it because I think some of them didn't even understand that it was a podcast. Um, like for example, Johnny Pryor, she didn't know what mm, podcast was, right. but I, I think it's, I, I think it's a, it's a good indicator that maybe there was a problem with it. It tells me we're picking the right cases. Okay. Because if it was like a slam dunk and the, and the family was absolutely certain, mm-hmm. I think they would be a lot more, uh, resistant to talk. But, but when somebody comes up and says, Hey, I'm investigating this case and doing a story on it, I think they might've got the wrong guy. And they're like, well, let's sit down. You know, like like Juan Mendiola. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's because they were never convinced to begin with, and they're almost still seeking answers. And, and see, I guess I I think of like the Moore family from the West Memphis Three, right? Where they they're totally locked down on the fact that yeah, the three did it. Yep. You know, and I don't think they're I don't think they're bad people. I don't think they had any involvement, but they just are locked down that they did it, and they don't want to go any further with it. Right. Yeah. And you definitely have they're they're for sure in that camp mm-hmm. and have been always. Kate says, food for thought, Bob and Josh should do a collaboration on a case they both have interest in. Their connection as friends and empathy and desire for justice for victims' family is something that would attract listeners everywhere. I'd love that. I mean, it's, it's we both have pretty pretty tight schedules, but I, I have several podcaster friends that I would love to do a collaboration with. You know, Maggie Freeling and I have talked about doing a podcast together, um, working a case together. Nick and Captain and I have talked about maybe doing something together. Nick and I have talked about doing something together to leave you guys out of it. Oh, have you really? Yeah, you should go for it. 
<laughs> Mike will be happy to edit yeah. it. You're not doing nothing, right? <laughs> what are you paying? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I would love to. Like, like Josh, Josh is truly one of my uh, one of my favorite people in the space, and we we didn't meet all that long ago, but we really just became fast friends. I mean, he and I are just, I think, mentally, emotionally, we're just we're just a lot alike. We we you know, the, the the thing that drew me to Josh to reach out to him and get to know him was listening to true crime bullshit in the beginning when he started saying out loud that he was having these conflicts. Cause for me it was like, Oh, I, I literally felt like I was on an Island and I was the only one that ever worried about this because everybody else is just doing their thing. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they do too, but I just, but Josh said it out loud. And it was like, like he's, he was willing to open himself up. He was willing to be so transparent about it. And you guys know I probably overshare. I think Mike would say I overshare more than I should on the show here. Yeah. But uh, it was just like, you know, I, I was I was like, oh, this guy gets a he understands. And then, and then I was, certainly is not disappointed when I met him. Like we, you know, we we get along great, and we and we both just share a lot of the same values. So I would I would love to do something like that. Um, but it's you know schedules are tough. Right now, but it's not to say that it'll never happen. I say that having never asked Josh if he wants to do that. All right, now we're going to transition into the West Memphis Three stuff. This one's from Matt. Quite simply, what's the next step after the DNA testing news, and what can we do to help? Um, definitely keep putting pressure on in a respectful way. So he, here's where we're at right now. I had to get some clarification on this. I actually talked to, emailed with Steve Braga this morning, who's one of Damien's attorneys, because I just wanted some clarification. Because we have been working this whole time on the pretense that we go to the DA, and the DA can allow this testing to go forward. And, you know, Ellington said he would. He was going to package the evidence, had everything going. Then we, we, we know the whole story. And Cressman has said that, you know, that, that, he, that, that they need to file a petition with the court. My question for Braga this morning was, can he test it? Could Cressman agree to test it without petitioning the court as the custodian of the evidence? And what I found out is in Arkansas, he cannot. You have to have a court order. But the reason they were going that route is if they file a joint motion, with the defense and the prosecution to the judge saying, we want to test this evidence. It's the word he used was automatic. It's just, it's a rubber stamp. Go ahead. So the the way Steve worded it to me this morning is Cressman has not committed to agreeing with us. He has, it sounds like he hasn't clearly said I'm not going to support this. And in fact, one of the emails that was published in Damien's lawsuit is you can find it online. They, they, they had one of Cressman's emails where he said that you need to petition the court so that the state can respond, which would mean that he's not going to support the testing that he, that they need to file it so that the state can make their case. The only reason I'm breaking this down for you is one, I needed to clarify or correct because I was incorrect uh, a couple of weeks ago when I said that the, the prosecutor is the custodian of the evidence and they can uh, just test it at will uh, in Arkansas. That is, that is not the case. They just, they have to have both sides have to agree for that. It, it's, it's basically the case 
If the prosecutor agrees, it's still a rubber stamp, automatic, boom, and goes. But it does still have to go to the court. So what the hell was Ellington doing then? That's a good question. Because Ellington told us the evidence was being packaged, ready to go. Yeah, so it sounds like, I mean, was it just lip service? I don't know. Unless unless it was because it is so much automatic that they were just, once they got it ready, they were just going to put the motion in front of the judge to stamp it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There was a petition in front of the judge to stamp it. But the other reason is we don't have a clear, we haven't got a clear response from Cressman that I'm aware of where he said, I will absolutely not support this motion. It sounds like he's not doing a joint motion, which would be an automatic approval, but he hasn't necessarily yet filed a response trying to stop the testing. It seems like that's what's happening. He's leading us to believe that's what's happening, but we don't, we don't 100% know yet. So it's kind of like, the motion's being the petition's being drafted. It's going to be filed very soon, so we're going to find out real quick here. But as of now, so we had um, a listener just today. I haven't even read through the whole email yet, but it was a, a listener. Were they, were they an organizer of some kind in Arkansas? Yeah, don't quote me, but I believe they're from the Arkansas Innocence Project. Okay, yeah, um, but but they were looking to to get with us so we could organize like a, a protest. And that is, that is certainly on the table. And I'll be reaching back out to that person um, today yet. I just haven't had time yet today to go to do it, but I, I we need to not put the cart before the horse. we got to see exactly how all of this is going to shake out. What I suspect is going to happen is what I said last time. I suspect that we're going to file a petition and then uh Cressman will respond opposing the testing and that they'll the only argument I can see they can possibly make is to argue timeliness because it's been 10 years since the conviction. And, and the Arkansas law says that you have to request it in a timely manner after the confession, after the conviction. And it says, if you file request testing within 36 months of the conviction, it's presumed to be timely after that. Meaning, and I think I explained this before, the state can't argue it's not timely. If you file it in two months, two years and 10 months, they can't even make an argument of it being timely. It is timely. After that, they can make that argument. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. And there's a lot of things that, that make it timely. There's new technology that wasn't available before, or there, you know, which is you know, MVAC like we have now. Um, 
so I, I think I, I'm not a lawyer. I think we win the argument on two, uh, that argument on, on two aspects. One is this new technology. We have literally the correspondences where I presented the team with this technology and connected them with the lab so they could research it and understand it. So it was not, it's not like they knew about MVAC testing and MVAC testing was done in Arkansas and was a standard practice and they waited till now to do it. So it's, it's new to Arkansas MVAC testing, certainly new to this, these both sides of these legal teams. And the other argument is according to their own records and their responses, meaning the state, we didn't know the evidence existed until last week. That's a big one. So, so there, there's no way they can argue timeliness when they are on the record just weeks ago saying the evidence is gone, lost, and destroyed. Well, how the hell can we be requesting to test evidence when you yourself thought, I'm using air quotes, thought that the evidence was gone? That right there to me is a slam dunk. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't say, Oh, well, because, because they're going to have to answer for that in this. They're going to have to answer for why they lied. And if their answer, so their answer is either we lied, which is going to be big problems for them, Mm -hmm. or they're going to say, well, we really thought it was gone. Well, if you really thought it was gone and you told the defense that it was gone, then how can you now argue that they should have tested it five years ago when you thought it was gone the whole time? So on those two grounds, I think if there's a fight, we win it. I'm still hoping that we can just get Cressman to come on board, which is why I say keep the pressure on, keep the comments, start calling his office, be respectful, be professional. Tell them that you just want to see justice done in this case. Please agree to test the evidence so we can finally find the truth in this case. And and as as I've I've said before, when it comes time to put the pedal on the floor, I will let you know, and we will and we will go for it full force. I don't think just now is the time for it. And I and I told Steve in my emails morning, I said, you tell me what you want, what we can do to help. And right now, it seems like we're in a we're in kind of a holding pattern, and and a big thing we can do is publicize. What's happening? So anywhere you can share this on social media, besides only their thing, anywhere, especially anybody who has contacts in Arkansas, to let Cressman know that we're not going away and we want as many people. And, and I'm working on some channels right now. I'm sure some of you can think of some things that I can do to help publicize this uh, that I can't really talk about right now. But I'm working through some channels right now to broadcast this to a much larger audience to let people know exactly what's going on. So if, if, if you're going to do this, if you're going to fight this testing, that the whole world is going to know about it. Richard says, why do you think Cressman is fighting the testing? Well, like I said, he's not quite, we don't know that he's fighting it yet. The reason he seems to be, I mean, I'm saying that being polite, the man said the evidence was gone when he knew it wasn't. So let's just, let's, Call a spade a spade here regarding that. So he's certainly trying to avoid the testing. Whether or not he's fighting it, we don't know. I I don't know unless it's just it's just protecting legacies. It's 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 protecting the 
people that came before him. He was he's got no dog in this fight. I don't understand it. Uh, there's arguments people have made about money that if these guys are exonerated that they can sue. I ju- I just don't know. I don't know why at this point in the game someone doesn't want to step up and just be the damn hero. Be the hero that says finally I'm on the ins- I'm on the the criminal justice side of this and I am going to help fight to find the truth. Not fight to exonerate the three, fight to find the truth. Be the good guy, be on the right because because right now neither Cressman or Ellington or Fogelman or anybody involved in this case, none of them are on the right side of history. No one looks at this case. There's the handful of some uh, of the nons that believe, uh, not that there's a lot of nons that believe that the three are guilty, but then maybe there's a handful that think that these guys have done a bang up job. But most people that believe they're guilty still know that this has not been handled properly. It has not been handled honestly. They're on the wrong side of history and somebody needs to get on the right side. Our last question is from Christina. It's my understanding that only the judge can decide whether or not the defense team can test the evidence. Asking for the approval from the prosecutor helps in the motion going smoother since both parties would be in agreement to test the evidence. But the prosecutor's approval is not required in order to file the motion and would not stop the defense from filing. However, because the prosecutor seems to be focused on fighting against the testing of the evidence, How could that potentially affect the judge's decision in whether or not to allow the defense to test the evidence? I mean, if the judge has to make a decision, that's always the case, right? So either you have, like I said, a joint motion between the two sides, both agreeing to test it, in which case the judge doesn't really have to make a decision. If the judge has to make a decision, it means the two sides don't agree. So I don't think that this particular instance is going to affect the – I think the judge will rule on the merits and the arguments from both sides, which I just presented uh, which are, you know, they're going to, and I can be, again, not a lawyer. The way I see it, the state argues timeliness and the defense argues new technology. And you said the evidence didn't exist, so we couldn't have tested it before now. And hopefully the judge would rule on the merits. But the one thing that I I, I do want to make clear is the motion, the petition is going to be filed. It's not like, you know, we were at a place that the, the law requires contacting the, the prosecutor before you can file the petition anyway. It's a step that has to be taken. Unfortunately, we've had two DAs that have drug it out for two freaking years for us to get to the point where we finally have a definitive answer that they're not going to to join the motion, at least as far as we know right now. And so, yeah, I mean, we're not waiting for Cressman to file the motion. The petition is being drafted. It's going to be filed anytime now. And then we see where it goes from there. We, you know, either either we've got a long drawn out court battle or Cressman gets on board and doesn't oppose it. And then hopefully we can get this thing moving and get back on track. Cressman needs to step up. He needs to, he needs to come through with this and and he needs to be the hero. We need it to happen. Right. The hero for truth. And, and with that, I will keep you updated, uh, both of these follow-up episodes and through, um, social media for any, any future updates in that case. Uh, until then keep the pressure on, this week's bonus episode, I've got Maggie Freeling joining me at uh, Zach's request, actually. Yeah, I'm really excited for this one. Yeah. And and Maggie and I were just we were just kind of chatting, catching up, uh, talking about some work she did on Murder and Alliance and some of her upcoming projects. So that'll be this Sunday. Uh, so make sure you tune in for that. And, not, and I just realized I don't know what the episode's going to be next week, so I better figure that out soon. So we'll, we'll have something for you next week. I'm so deep into the new case 
I got to put something together for next week's follow-up. We're probably, I, I think we're going to go ahead and try to pull the trigger on this new case in about three weeks, regardless of where I, we've got enough to get started. We're not where I want to be. As I said, this in the last follow-up, this trip turned out to be a flop because of COVID. Um, I was only got a couple of interviews and wasn't able to, to profile a crime scene with Jim Clemente like I was hoping to. But we've got enough to get started, and uh, it's going to be you know real time. Was hoping to be a little less white knuckle this season, but eh, it always ends up this way, right? Yes, <laughs> it sure does. Yeah. All right. So just a few more weeks of bonus episodes. We're going to get started with season twelve. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd really like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a 5-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, Truth and Justice Pod. Just click the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at BobRuffTruth. Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G, and Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. International Festival for the Business of Podcasting is back. The Podcast Show London will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof 
on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Also featuring major industry players, global brands and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting. Plus creator meetups, networking and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com. Listener.